Well, hello out there, planet Earth. Happy Friday. It's March, the month of madness. It's Friday, and it's always Friday with me, Stephen Fry, your SMB guy. ICYMI, or in case you missed it, SMB stands for Small and Medium-Sized Business. For the last 20 years, I've been a consultant for SMBs, a voice and a sounding board for business leaders, continuously learning and helping wherever I can. I believe there's significant value behind sharing stories, providing perspective, and creating connection. So... Every single Friday, you can find me here on talkradio.nyc doing just that, lending what is left of my mind and my voice to this live radio show where I interview SMB leaders as well as their trusted advisors. One thing I've noticed over the years is that some of the best thought leadership for SMBs actually happens on Friday, right about the time we feel that freedom of the weekend coming. However, we're also anxious to start the weekend. These crucial pearls of wisdom, they're often forgotten, overlooked, swept aside in favor of our fun activities and our freedom from work. Here on Always Friday, we like to take advantage of that weekend freedom and clarity. We discuss popular topics that are on the minds of SMB leaders as well as their trusted advisors. Another quick thought for all of you, my last name means free in German, so the name of the show is far from just a play on words. There is always a little bit of deeper meaning here with me. So before we get this show on the road, I wanted to thank some special friends of mine. Today's special episode is of Always Friday is brought to you by SDA Wealth Strategies, a boutique financial services firm in the Hudson Valley, offering personal wealth management and comprehensive business solutions for its clients. SDA stands for Simplifying Financial Lives, Designing Financial Strategies, and advocating to implement them. SDA offers a concierge experience for individuals and businesses. The firm's highest priority is always their clients' best interests, while empowering people and businesses to be consciously proactive and to thrive today, tomorrow, and beyond. To learn more, visit SDAWealthStrategies.com. The shades are on. We have lots to talk about today. Let's get into it. Today's show is about business continuity during uncertain times. These days, there are so many factors out there that can contribute to the idea of uncertain times for small, medium-sized businesses. You've had the pandemic. You have warlike conflicts going on around the world. You have dependence on technology that could be vulnerable to cyber attacks and many, many more. It's nearly impossible to plan for all of the things that could go wrong when you're a business owner. That said, the show must go on. Especially true if you have your own business and your own employees. You need to make sure the SMB is in the ideal position to keep conducting business no matter what's happening out there. Today, you're going to hear from someone who has extensive experience on both the buyer's and seller sides of professional client services in this area. Talk is cheap. We all know that. We're here on talkradio.myc. We don't want this to just be talk. The goal here is let's use the insight we get on the business landscape and create more impact come Monday morning after we've enjoyed our cocktails this weekend. Far too often, SMBs are focused on the product that's going to help them with all their problems. Shiny new mousetrap, the magic wand doesn't really exist. One consistent thing I see out there, products change every single day in everything we do, whether it's personal or business. You have the right people around you. You keep a focus on a good process that will get you to your goals. The right products will be there. They'll present themselves when you need them. You have to have the right people first. So in the spirit of surrounding yourself with the right people, great show for you here today. Our special guest is Mr. Michael Wiebe of Wiebe Associates, LLC. Mike leads his own risk management and insurance consulting firm, overseeing a diverse industry spectrum of large, small, public, private manufacturing, 
professional services, and nonprofit firms, as well as international clients. Mr. Wiebe has over four decades in the industry. Work experience includes IBM Risk Manager, Senior VP, Marsh McLennan Companies, CEO, WTC Insurance Company. On the seller side, Mike has managed client relationships and uh, developed and delivered risk management services to a wide range of businesses. Property and casualty, health and welfare insurance, crisis management, business impact analysis, as well as some aspects of retirement planning. He's been an invited speaker for numerous professional associations and conferences on risk management, both domestically and internationally. He has served in leadership roles uh, in regional and national risk and insurance management society associations, has authored numerous professional journal articles, including re-engineering the broker risk manager relationship, uh, John Liner Review Magazine, and Business Continuity Central white papers on enterprise risk management. On the buyer side, Mike has directed the re-engineering, globalization, and consolidation of IBM's worldwide risk management programs, reducing costs more than 25 percent. His team's work was the subject of numerous professional journal articles, and his team was awarded CFO Magazine's Alexander Hamilton Award for groundbreaking efficiencies in IBM's workers' compensation program. Mike also managed IBM's offshore captive insurance programs, where he grew revenue 80% and tripled profits in two years. Mike got his Bachelor of Engineering from SUNY Stony Brook, his MBA from the University of Connecticut. He received certification as an associate in risk management from the Insurance Institute of America over 40 years ago, people. So Weeby is a member of the Roundtable Expert Network and the GLG Council and the Scholars Program. Also a former faculty member at the Practicing Law Institute. I cannot read any more of his credentials. You're going to have to hear them from him himself. He is the best person to chat with about this topic. And as always, we're going to discuss my favorite questions. Who's your favorite movie or TV show character? What's your favorite movie or TV show? What's your favorite musical instrument? And who's the artist you'd like to hear play it? Coming to us live from the beaches of Florida to give us perspective from his decades of experience in the field. Mike, welcome to the show. Pleasure to have you here, my friend. Thanks, Steve. Good to be here. That's so, quite a lot of reading you had to do. I, I have to take a breath here for a second. While I'm, trying to, while I'm trying to catch my breath, why don't you give everybody a little bit of the founder's journey? You've done a lot, and, and you're in a very cool setting right now with the ocean behind yeah, you. It's yeah, talk, wonderful. Talk Life to us good. about the journey. <laughs> so uh, my journey actually relates to a 1973 Chevy Malibu. However, my... Um, Newsletter, which hasn't come out yet, will in a few weeks, implies that I long to be in risk management through college. But actually, the key was getting the keys to this 1973 Chevy Malibu. So um, I graduated with an engineering degree, as you mentioned, during the Vietnam War era. And when I graduated, I had a job offer from Pratt & Whitney to work on jet engines. And I also had because they came recruiting to the school uh, uh, with new car brochures, a job with an insurance company where I'd get a company car. And I put myself through college. I did roofing and all that stuff. And I had a little bit of money I owed when I got out. Only 5000 Nobody can imagine that these days, right? <laughs> yes, very um, much so. So I took the job with a new car because I had this old jalopy, $25 car that I was driving around for years. <laughs> But I had no idea what they wanted me to do. I just wanted those keys. And it turned out to be a pretty decent job. 
they went sent me through six months of training in fire protection engineering. And that meant um, working with fire departments and sprinkler installers and various vendors of fire pr- protection equipment to help a business prepare for a crisis, a fire. And also the fire department, make sure that they were adequate in being able to respond to to a crisis like that. Um, And it meant testing water supplies and witnessing water flow and fire department procedures and all of that. And that was pretty fun for a while, but I realized being in the field wasn't a way to get ahead. You had, in those days, you had to come into the office. (laughs) There was no other way to be promoted, like to supervisor or something. So um, I switched jobs and I went to work for a mining company. And that, and we spent some time working a lot with employee safety, uh, deep hard rock mines. That was a wonderful experience. World travel, mines in Australia, Africa, um, all around Canada and the United States. So for a young guy, that was pretty pretty exciting. But I re- but I also started a family. I had a kid first, only one. But you know when you you know how that changes things. I had to get really serious. So I took a job with IBM because no one could go wrong working for IBM, right? And I stayed there 13 years and I was hired. They called it a vitality hire because IBM did not hire people with experience. They wanted you fresh out of college, but they didn't have any way of training people in risk management. So they had to hire a few from the outside. When I left, I was a risk manager at IBM after 13 years, and we did some pretty interesting things. We worried about the liability of air traffic control systems because IBM built those, and we modeled 747s crashing over midair over a major city. What would the total dollar liability to IBM would be if they were found at fault? Um, We also worked with fire departments, to protect our chip fabs around the country. Several billion dollars of value concentrated in some pretty small buildings, actually. These days, they're probably more like 20 or $30 billion, these chip fabs. Then I went to work for several insurance brokers. You mentioned one, Marsh, um, and worked on the selling side of some of these services that I had experience as a buyer. And then I went off on my own. And for the last two days, two decades, I've been have had my own risk management consulting firm. The the air traffic control discussion, I'm like visualizing what that had to be like. I, give us a little more on that. How, how, did, how did you do that? What was the testing for that like? Well, actually, IBM lobbied with the federal government to limit uh, our liability because that was. Well, you couldn't buy insurance. So we got them to limit it to $500 million back in those days. (laughs) I guess that was a lot of money. That was all the insurance we could get around the world. And I think it had uh, 10 or $15 million deductible. So if we were held liable, it wouldn't, it would dent the company. IBM had great um, confidence and rightly so in its ability to design good systems. 
now they, they debugged the systems before they ever reached the market. Now we do all the debugging for new technology. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you had all this experience working with some, some really large corporate organizations and, and almost two decades ago, you, you know, you went off on your own to, to be more of a, of, of a co- consultative presence to other types of businesses. Was that, was that a very big jump for you? Yes. And it wasn't entirely voluntary. <laughs> we all have stories like that. No problem. So, I, we, you know, we've talked a little bit about my love of sailing. So when I left IBM, I went to uh, Sedgwick, which was acquired by Marsh. And um, then my, after I had been with Marsh only a couple of years, uh, they got into financial uh, trouble, not troubles, held responsible for financial. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> See, the air traffic control, they're right behind yeah, you. Yeah, so appropriate, right? So relevant. But <laughs> um, financial shenanigans. And so had to pay several, I think it was about $800 million in fines. And so some of the newbies got laid off. So I got laid off from IBM and I was on a sailboat for two weeks with my wife off the grid, of course, in those days, had no knowledge. So when I came back, I had no job. <laughs> Surprise! And I had thought about starting my own firm and I was really tired of the big corporate bureaucracy. So so I did. And um, it worked it well. Here it is. It worked out okay. <laughs> so, you know, companies large, companies small, you'll consult and work with all of the above. Am I right? Yes. Yep. I've worked with big publicly traded companies. And my favorite and the best are the small clients, 50 to 100 employees, under 100 million in sales. Those are the best, the most fun. Yeah, and that's a lot of the reason why I've I've spent you know the large portion of my career working with SMBs because you you can really feel and see the impact. It's like right there in front of you, right? And they make quick decisions, and you talk to the owner or the CEO, and <laughs> you know sometimes you get dressed down, but you always know what where you are in terms of your relationship with the organization. Yeah, definitely. Couldn't agree more. There's uh, not not always, not everyone quickest decisions out there. Some of them will belabor certain points and, you know, some sometimes penny wise, pound foolish, but you could definitely see and feel the impact right up there close and personal. And that's, that's uh, drives me every single day. So great to hear that large and small end of the spectrum. You're there for everybody. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with Mike Wiebe, founder at Wiebe Associates. Stay with us. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? 
I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Welcome back, everybody. It's Friday. It's always Friday. And it's me, Stephen Fry, your SMB guy. We're chatting with my friend Mike Wiebe, founder at Wiebe Associates, risk management advisor for over four decades now. Uh, before we kick off the, the, the method segment here, Mike, I want to just sit out by my fire pit for a moment and give my perspective on the topic of the day. And uh, very, very apropos that you used to do all kinds of risk management work for fire protection engineering, because most things in this life are a, a risk and reward type of balance. But when you're talking about having your own business and running your own business, there's calculated risk and there's trial by fire. My preference is always calculated risk whenever you can do it that way. I don't like to get burned and neither do most people in most businesses out there. But many times people get burned when they're just chasing the reward, the end product, increasing their revenues and and kind of fighting the ground war instead of the air war strategizing about their business. A lot of times also what I've seen with the SMBs out there is the idea of getting burned versus a learning curve, especially with SMBs. Getting burned is often framed as we're a new business or we're a mom and pop shop. How would we ever know to be aware of this? In some ways, learning from your mistakes is kind of outdated, especially if others have made the mistakes already over the last 40, 50 years. You have great people like you, Mike, who can really give some perspective on this where you don't know what you don't know. Again, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to plan for everything that can go wrong as a business. Having the right advisors and strategists in your corner is extremely important, even if the business is really small. It doesn't matter. What if you can't access your bank account? What if your internet goes out? Can you still do business? These are all big questions these days. Many businesses will have an immediate response. No, we're dead in the water if we can't do that. But do they have a business continuity plan? Do they have a disaster recovery plan? A lot of times they don't. So being proactive versus reactive, don't get too tied up with the battles of making money. You might subject yourself to unintended consequences. So Mike, this is the method part of the show, the science behind what you do. Talk to us in some detail about what you do, how you do it, and how you end up going to market for it. 
All right. Well, the subject, uh, the technical subject is business continuity during uncertain times. And um, these are that these certainly qualify as uncertain times. First, we had the pandemic, then the January 6th Capitol event, now invasion. Question might be, can we prepare for war? Answer, quick answer is no. But I think this is an opportunity for people to and business owners personally and business owners to th- as a good excuse to think about what can go wrong with your business, things that you can control or have some control of um, that you can plan for and mitigate the interruption to your business. Now, in normal times, it's good business management and not, not this is not 100% that man- managers do this, is evaluate threats to the business. One of my jobs that I love doing is tactfully keeping business owners periodically focused on that, thinking about what can go wrong um, and planning for the mitigation. And, and not in the ne- time to be motivated for that than with these uncertain times. And not in a negative way either. It's not like you know, just trying to always playing devil's advocate and all of that. It's just there's there's a lot of uncertainty out there as it is, especially with the way business is conducted these days. Yes. And it's I love a lot of the pictures on your website, Mike. By the way, so it's you know like there's there's this one that, that that I have up on the screen right now where it's talking about workplace safety standards, and it's it's a guy standing on a whole bunch of like chairs and tables like stacked on top of each other to hang up the sign, and just like some things you don't necessarily need a crystal ball for but (laughs) smbs are wrapped up in their business so often on the day-to-day ground war that they they will overlook some things of of planning that they really need to have right well it's the nature of entrepreneurs and business owners to be optimistic or they wouldn't be in business for themselves if they were thinking about what could go wrong all the time agreed uh and, and there's a phrase Put on the rose-colored glasses <laughs> and think about what can go wrong. Getting business owners to, to think about that is, is not always very easy because they're naturally optimistic. And, and they don't want – it's in, not in their nature to prepare for the worst. So, you know, a lot of times doing business continuity and disaster recovery planning is, is framed as survival of the business. But I would also argue, and you know, definitely talk about this a little bit, that this goes a long way to businesses thriving. So that you know, yeah. when things happen, you're not scrambling for an answer. Like you know, you can't plan for everything, so you might scramble a little bit. But with the right plans and the right people by your side, it's it's not necessarily going to be a fire drill. And I I talk to my clients about being competitive, sort of like. Um, and if you're trying to protect your home, you don't need the best, most expensive lock. You just need one that's better than your neighbors. So the burglars <laughs> go to your neighbors. Sort of the same argument with risk management. I want my clients not to be entirely 100% risk um, free. I want them to be slightly better than their competitors and quicker to respond to crisis so that they can. it's a, an, a, ch- a chance to increase market share. If they're a little quicker, Recovering from, for example, the pandemic. (laughs) 
Yeah, absolutely. I I love baseball analogies, and I've said it on the show before. It's one big thing about baseball is before every pitch is thrown, you have to be thinking out in the field, what am I going to do if the ball's hit to me? Because if you wait for the crack of the bat, it's probably going to be too late. It's not impossible that you'll be okay, but it's probably going to be too late where you might be forced into making some type of mistake or quick rash decision. So the idea of being proactive versus reactive is always kind of prevalent with this type of discussion. But like you just said, a lot of times business owners will wait till times of crisis before they look to to plan for these types of problems they might have. That's right. And even if the CEO may have been thinking a bit about what can go wrong, um, it's very important to get conversations with the people just below the owner and the CEO, uh, their perspective, and also what the CEO and the owner is thinking about and what their plan might be in their mind, but never really gets communicated until it's too late. Right. It's you know, something that you've undoubtedly come across and I have as well. The amount of things on a, on a CEO's mind in an average day is out of control. So even if you're sending them emails, like I see routinely people sending emails that are a, you know, a novel to somebody like in the CEO seats, like there's absolutely no chance they're going to read that because there's so many things on their mind in an average day. And this is one of those that might sometimes get swept aside in favor of the other you know, prevailing thoughts, including running the day-to-day business. And often the people on the front line and in the trenches have a better perspective of the vulnerability, the vulnerableness of the certain aspects of the business more than the CEO because they're closer to it. And unless they're encouraged to talk about these, um, especially if a CEO is always optimistic and nobody wants to deliver bad news or the possibility of bad news, it's got to come from the top. And there has to be an encouragement in the organization to be thinking about these things. And also, once there, there's conversations um, and people know where the CEO stands, they're much more likely to have confidence in decisions that they make based on their intu- intuition of the business. And um, one of the things that uh, – so let me back up a little bit. So. One of the th- there's a couple aspects of business an interruption to the business that involve uh, infrastructure, mm-hmm. not something that business might have control of electricity, transportation, um, supply chain, communications, internet, phone. All of those things are like air and water for <laughs> yep. business. Yep. Yeah. They can't survive without them. So there's some possibility that they could have emergency electricity and think about that, what the investment is, how much is, you know, the risk reward that you talked about a few minutes ago, supply chain, have the people who are close to it come to you and talk about where you think there are bottlenecks or could be bottlenecks in the supply chain. Mm -hmm. And the pandemic has been a great excuse for getting that conversation going on within every organization. Mm -hmm. And then there's just the old fashioned crisis of fire flood and now pandemic. (laughs) Sure. Absolutely. Um, Things that businesses fires. That's, that's where I started preparing for fires. There's so much businesses can do to mitigate that 
flooding less so, but still there, there are, you know, building retaining walls, moving uh, businesses uh, up higher away from flood levels. Um, this isn't one of the things that I have, was planning to talk about, but the key weakness for the, the power plant, that, the nuclear power plant that went bad in Japan mm-hmm. was that they had the emergency power generator behind a seawall, but at sea level. And it wasn't designed for the 100-year tsunami. Whoa. That's such an old practice of having emergency power in every manufacturing plant. Right. But they didn't think that they needed to raise it above sea, much higher above sea level. (laughs) Not really a laughing matter. Such a simple, old-fashioned weakness. Just amazing to me that that brought down that plant and, and changed the lives for 200,000 people. So, so that definitely a big story and a, and a, and a big relationship to, to what we're talking about. Uh, look, I'm going to make an assumption here that over the years, a lot of the people you've worked with have asked for lists and comprehensive breakdowns of absolutely everything that could go wrong at any point for any reason. But I, it seems to me that more of your process revolves around almost like interviewing different levels of the business in addition to just making your observations, but interviewing the CEO level and the folks directly under, and maybe even some cases directly under that. Is that, is that kind of how it goes? Yes. And also practicing coming up with some scenarios of things that might go wrong, just one or two practice them, communicate um, in a, in a tabletop drill down to levels that are appropriate in the organization that need to make decisions and respond to it. Simple example, we used to do fire drills in school and the high rise buildings use fire drills. You can't go to written procedures for those things. Someone has to be in charge to get people out and that person might not be available or maybe dying of smoke inhalation. So someone has to step in and there's no written procedure for that. It has to be intuitive, has to be through practice. Absolutely. Great stuff, Mike. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with my friend, Mike Wiebe, founder at Wiebe Associates, Risk Management Advisor. Stay with us. Howdy, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges 
business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Always Friday with me, Stephen Fry, your SMB guy. We're chatting with my friend, Mike Wiebe, founder at Wiebe Associates, risk management advisor for over four decades now. We were chatting just now about the method behind the madness that is Mike's world, uh, but he did give us a little taste of some of the madness, talking about the uh, nuclear power plant in Japan that wasn't necessarily prepared for the 100-year tsunami, changed, changed the lives of a whole bunch of people. So I have no doubt out, Mike, that there's going to be a fair amount of madness stories that you can relate for everybody out here. So this is the madness part of the show. There is stories from the field, no subject to taboo, things that you've seen out there. Obviously, we don't want to compromise client confidentiality. We could always use other names and things instead. But just to kick this off right here, I've seen a crazy week of, of cybersecurity focused articles, Bloomberg, Reuters, Time Magazine, email after email, trying to keep everyone conscious around cyber attacks, even popping up on Alexa, you know, Echo Show or whatever in the kitchen. It's like t- talking about cybersecurity and NFTs and keeping on CNBC every other hour. There's something about cybersecurity. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of madness out there and some of it you've seen kind of frontline over the last, you know, for decades. So, you know, talk to us a little bit about some of the madness that you've seen out there. Oh, lots of madness. Uh, but I, uh, it's amazing. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's kind of story time, right? So um, about six months before the pandemic, I got one of my clients, one, one of my favorite clients um, to start doing, and this was after years of gentle prodding, to start planning, doing some crisis drills. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we picked, then um, this was through conversations with senior people in, in the organization. We picked um, hostage active shooter situation because it's so unpredictable. Mm-hmm. And we spent um, probably three or four hour or two each meetings over a period of six months, so maybe 10 hours of discussion over a period of six months, planning some of the first steps for that situation. Um, Never once used or considered the word pandemic. So uh, the pandemic came around in February, about mid-February. I started taking this very seriously, February 2020 for my clients, and uh, this particular client was very vulnerable. And I can remember losing a lot of sleep the night of February 24th. I woke up in the morning, and the first thing I sent off an email to the CEO, who I admire greatly, just uh, he could be a Harvard business case of how to run and manage a business. I sent him an email. I said, you know, this, this virus is in 37 countries 
It's not officially here yet, but we need to prepare. Are you are you giving any thought to it? Have you started it? And it, this this was like a seven thirty in the morning. I I got an immediate response. Uh, no, I haven't thought about it. You take it. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought to myself, how could he not be thinking about this? Because I'm obsessed with it, right? But he's running the business, and it's not a big deal yet in the U.S. Uh, but during the day, he was thinking about it, I, and there were Snapchats and all sorts of text messages going around the organization task force being created. They wanted, you know, they kept touching bases with me and I ignored everybody because <laughs> they wanted me to take charge. And I didn't want to be the one in charge. We had planned for something like this. It needs to be the second level people to the CEO who have been practicing. So I stayed silent all day. <laughs> the next meeting, there were three, of, next day, there were three or four task force this business was remarkable in the way they responded. And I think you took some words from my website. They um, pivoted, recovered, and thrived and had their first solidly profitable year in the second year of the pandemic. And the CEO will say that it was because of these uh, crisis situations we considered that they were able to quickly respond Yep. Ahead so of their competition. So that, that goes right into the idea of it's not just surviving, it is thriving, and it is about business growth, yeah, where yes. you could differentiate yourself as being prepared for damn near anything. Those are great opportunities to really you know shine and, and, and grow your revenues and grow your business. So, so on along the idea of just going back for a moment, just the cybersecurity stuff, you know, one of the articles, and you kind of you kind of hit it right on the head there. There's one of the articles that I came across uh, said U.S. banks prepare for cyber attacks after latest Russian sanctions, given what's going on with you know with the warlike conditions overseas. Saying that you know hackers are threat hunting, they're searching for known malicious behavior behaviors inside of you know, for example, big bank IT systems, exposing the potential vulnerabilities and testing anything that was recently patched with software updates. And the, the article is quoted saying, it's all about being prepared and not waiting for when the crisis happens. Yes. And I think in general, with cybersecurity, too much time is spent on the technology to prevent uh, the disruption, when actually it's based on my experience at IBM, almost impossible once you're targeted to prevent it. So it's better energy spent to assume that it occurs. Right. It, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but in, in many cases, when you've been targeted and it's discovered, there's probably been some type of vulnerability to the system for the greater part of six to nine months. Am yeah, I wrong? Right, right. Right. And every business has a cybersecurity exposure. The one man shop has a cybersecurity exposure. So planning for that interruption um, helps a business be prepared for, again, any crisis. So this is something that you've actually, at least I've, I've seen it out there, that you've spoken about through um, Quinnipiac University, does a, does a, a blog, podcast, whatever, uh, as far as thought leadership goes. You've actually spoken you know, with, with some of the folks there about this very topic. Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, these, the, uh, the university has uh, a, a bachelor's program uh, churning out bachelors in uh, cybersecurity technology. And so I tried to bring the people aspect of it 
to them. You know, these are young folks in their early 20s, and they think that technology is the end all and be all of every problem solution. <laughs> um, where actually they know that most of the cybersecurity weaknesses are human factors. People didn't use a good password um, or allowed a hacker to trick them into giving up some information. Ninety uh, percent of the might be that might be too high, but it's a high percentage of uh, events occur because of the human factors, not because of a weakness in technology. So that's it's you know, interesting point there. You know, and I think everybody knows how I feel about about products and technology. I love to be conscious of them. I love to know about them, but it starts with the people every time. It's like good people, yep. good process. But as you just said, a lot of times, even with the vulnerabilities of, of, of companies and trying to do risk management, it still begins with the people making sure that their behavior is consistent and and follows a tangible, securable process, if you will. Absolutely. So Good give us tight summary, Steve. Give give us some more you know war stories from the field because like again going going from the big company environment, you know, seeing some of what you saw there to you know working as as your own SMB, being a consultant to other types of businesses, both large and small. I I, I have to imagine you've seen some crazy stuff. Yes, but. Um, my favorite ones, and the, and the least dangerous for me to talk about in terms of <laughs> reputation for some of my clients, go back many years. Fair enough. So, so, but I like to do use the analogy of the old-fashioned fire drills because, um, for me, it was the best indoctrination working with firefighters and and emergency response teams and learning from highly trained people how to respond to that specific crisis. And I've tried to apply some of those principles uh, my whole life. So, so the trauma for me, the, the experience for me is <laughs> goes back to my, after six months of training with a company that I uh, talked about in my uh, journey, fire protection training, um, and I drove around my new 73 Malibu um, <laughs> around North Carolina. I was a new guy. They sent me down there for several weeks uh, planning uh, for a hospital network that was a client, but small rural, rural, rural hospitals about an hour outside Charlotte, you know, in a circle outside Charlotte. These, these are very small hospitals and very small fire departments, local volunteers. Uh, to give you an idea, some of these hospitals, 15 to 20 beds, you know, the kind where you pull up to the front and the hospital CEO is also the most senior doctor of the two or three that are on call. Right. And mowing the lawn when I pull in. <laughs> Um, and my my employer then was short staffed, so they sent the new guy down to do this. They figured I couldn't get into too much trouble. These places are so remote. If I screw up, it's probably not going to affect the reputation of the company. And I was, you know, a young kid. The volunteer fire departments were probably going to be a little more welcoming than a fully trained professional employees in the fire department. This new guy from New York, you know, I'm going to, I'm not going to make much progress with them. So. <laughs> But the, the head of the Charlotte office also had a, st a staffing problem emergency while I was there. 
So he dragged me into doing some work for this huge hospital in Charlotte. <laughs> and working with the fire department uh, meant uh, measuring water flow. Uh, they had to close some streets. Um, and I'm supposed to be telling this new young kid with a shiny car, supposed to be telling these trained professionals how I want this crisis planning to work out. <laughs> So they decided they had to close some streets. They notified the local news uh, station. They showed up with cameras. The cameras were rolling and they're shooting water all over the place. And of course, they made sure that I got sprayed by the wind. I was in the news. <laughs> the local Charlotte office head got a hold of the tape from the news and he sent it up to the headquarters in New York. And for the next couple of years, I was the example of what not to do for the young trainees, <laughs> trainees that came in to go through the six months of training. <laughs> and that was, as you said, trial by fire or maybe water. <laughs> no pun intended. Uh, I love it. Great, great story, Mike. We got to take a quick break, but we're going to be right back with my friend Mike Wiebe from Wiebe Associates, risk management advisor for over four decades. Stay with us, everybody. Join us every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern for the Mind Behind Leadership, where we focus on what leadership really means to us and to others. We have practical discussions with the CEOs of some of the world's largest companies, owners of small businesses, and experts in psychology and behavior to get that inside track, what to do, what to avoid, and what really happens. Join me, Graham Dobbin, at the new time, 4 p.m. every Tuesday for the Mind Behind Leadership, here live on talkradio.nyc. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. all pet lovers pet avengers assemble on the professionals and animal lovers show we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong it mirrors that bond between pets and their owners through this program we come together to learn educate and advocate join us live every wednesday at 2 p.m at talkradio.nyc You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Always Friday with me, Stephen Fry, your SMB guy. We're chatting with my friend, Mike Wiebe, founder at Wiebe Associates, risk management advisor for over 40 years. We were just chatting about the madness that is Mike's life. And a lot of the stories that he has come from the lens of, uh, you know, a fire drill per se, like just being ready for, with a plan of what happens. And it triggered a, sto a story in my head just from my high school days 
you know, fire drill was something that you know, most schools have some type of plan in place for. Well, we got to a point where there were students phoning in phony bomb threats just to get out of class. So a little bit different. They weren't necessarily prepared for that. You know, people being out of class for hours at a time. And then they took it to an extra extreme where one of the students actually put an M80 firecracker in one of the lockers, phoned in a bomb threat and blew the locker door off. Just crazy, crazy thoughts that traditionally people might not have thought of. But, you know, just because the standard fire drill is the way that everything's always been done doesn't mean that it's going to prepare you for everything going into the future. So, Mike, I think that that kind of blends in nicely to the messaging part of our show here. The whole idea is we want to give people some weekend insight to make a Monday impact. So something that they can remember over the weekend. We want to leave them with some sound bites that they can take action on. And just one one quick thing that I thought of was you can't plan for everything that will go wrong when you're running a business. But with the right help, you can have a plan of attack that doesn't feel like a fire drill when things inevitably go sideways. But give us some of your your sound bites for the weekend. Well, a famous quote, and I'm not sure whether it was General the U.S. General MacArthur in World War II and Napoleon. And I, I forget it exactly, so I'll paraphrase it. But it basically boils down to battle plan essential, but then useless. <laughs> yep. But, but the planning is the most important thing, and that 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 is a serious quote. Uh, you, some you know you can look it up, and there's different phrases of it. But basically, it's the preparation because once you're in battle, everything is so uncertain. People have to have some muscle memory. Yes, how, how to react, and it it can't be a long thought process. And I would say that this is something I've talked about on the show with other guests, but it's, you know, for what you just said, the ability to react, it's more of to respond with the way that I think about it. There's, I definitely draw a line in the sand these days between reaction and response. So reaction always kind of comes with that negative connotation to it. Response is like an engineered an engineered approach to whatever the situation is. And I completely agree with you. Battle plan essential but ultimately useless because when when everything is starting to go wrong, you know, you go to the locked up battle plan, try to figure out and ascertain what's going on. It's that's not really how it works. It's the idea of thinking about it, talking about it, strategizing about it, coming up with potential solutions for it, just kicking around the the ideas with somebody like yourself that'll lead you to being able to respond appropriately. Is that how you look at it? Absolutely. And it doesn't actually, some of the best conversations occur um, maybe over drinks at a bar, you know, couldn't and agree more me necessarily, but I plant the seed for some conversations and then everybody relaxes a little bit. We used to do these planning sessions with when I was at IBM and they were three day events. And part of the challenge was getting these very knowledgeable people to let down their guard and talk about what could go wrong and plan out. And they would do that over drinks. Yeah, absolutely. We would do do these uh, purposely offsite where they had to stay at a hotel. And some of the best crisis planning took place there. I'm not shocked in the least. And a, a lot of that, you know, again, like I go back to the idea of it's not what you say, it's how you say it. A lot of times people are, especially around an industry like yours, they're coming up with a 50, 60 slide deck to express everything and might be some great content, but it's not impactful. 
and it's always outdated and <laughs> um, people don't think to, to look at it, which really wouldn't help anyway, because it doesn't address this exact situation that they're faced with. But sitting there having having a cocktail and and drawing you know a, a perspective on the back of a bar napkin, I front line have seen that have more impact for people. And it sounds like you have too. And what what I learned too in big complicated processes, these people can fix things, minor adjustments that never rise to the surface of ever being recognized. But it's just because they know it's a better way and they have a conversation with someone that they otherwise wouldn't have talked about it that's connected to their process. And they think they, they have a couple of doing so, you know, I think we can figure out a way to do that better. When we get back to the office on Monday, I'll call you and it gets fixed and the crisis never occurs. And you right. never know that. Right, right. I'm going to I'm going to give everybody a testimonial from your site real quick that kind of hit home with me. So one area in which most companies do not have independent advice other from someone selling insurance is risk and what insurance is compatible if desired. So this this client of yours has always found Weeby Associates right on. Initially, he was occupying a CFO position. More recently, he's directed his attention to sitting on boards, generally chairing the audit and risk committee. But Weeby and Associates, you're a valuable tool to recognize the holes in the coverage or places to save money or both and preparing folks to thrive, not just survive. Yeah, that's a good guy. One of the, our favorite things is to talk about presentations to the board, you know, by senior people in a complicated organization. And um, they have trouble explaining the amount of risk to the board. Like they, they sort of explain it away by saying, well, all of this is too complicated. So you just have to trust us. And he says, if they can't explain it to me and I'm not stupid, then they don't understand the risk. And, and it's hard to, it's hard to trust somebody that with that kind of response. <laughs> yeah. He says, you come back and you, you make this simple enough for me to figure it out. So I can make as a board member, as a director on the board, I can make a judgment about what the risks are to the organization. Absolutely. Mike, thank you so much for joining me here today. I really, really appreciate it. I know we've been talking about it for a while. Great stuff. Uh, just so everybody knows, in partnership with SDA Well Strategies, Mike and I will be doing a live webinar around some of these topics, especially the cybersecurity piece of things, on Wednesday, March 23rd at 1 p.m. with some other professional partners of ours. So if that, uh, that content and those ideas grab you, I know that they're in the headlines and in the emails these days. So definitely uh, tune into that. We could we'll get you the information for that. Remember, you, could, you guys could text SMB guy, all one word, to 21,000. You guys, uh, I'll get you the information on that. You'll get my contact information as well. Uh, before I let you go for the day, we have to revisit my favorite three questions. Who is your favorite movie or TV show character? What's your favorite movie or TV show? What's your favorite musical instrument and the artist you'd like to hear play it? So without further ado, Mr. Weeby. Your favorite movie or TV show character, which is both in this case for me, uh, Richard Kimball in The Fugitive. So the physician wrongfully convicted of his wife's murder and sentenced to death. En route to death row, Kimball's train derails over a switch, allowing him to escape and begin a cross-country search for the real killer, the one-armed man. And uh, I, you know, my, my, my recollection from me growing up is the movie with Harrison Ford. I know you were more on the TV show end of things. You saw them filming it at one point somewhere, didn't you? 
I did. I was 10 years old. <laughs> <laughs> where, where, where was that? On the pier at Santa Barbara, California. Awesome. And I saw the one-armed man, too. <laughs> Dr. Kimball. <laughs> Absolutely. So your favorite TV show, you gave me a couple of them here. You said Outlander, which is one that I haven't gotten into yet. An English combat nurse from 1945 is mysteriously swept back in time to 1743. So me personally, I've always liked shows that depict time travel or different periods in history. And with your experience, I'm not shocked to hear you say that you like time travel as well, seeing that you've seen quite a bit over the years as time has evolved. <laughs> it feels like it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so, always the oldest guy in the meeting now. <laughs> I prefer to say the most vintage because that sounds a little better and sounds like fine wine. So some of my friends say the Renaissance man <laughs> <laughs> and, and Renaissance man just makes you feel old, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you also said you like Dexter and I'm a big Dexter fan as well. Smart, lovable Miami Metro of police forensic specialist, America's favorite serial killer who spends his days solving crimes and nights committing them. So and the Miami police department office is right on the water in the <laughs> marina, which I think, how can that be a bad job? I, I, I guess you might have a thing for, for murderers or accused murderers, right? With all these answers, but they're the ultimate candidates for risk management. Do you offer any services for people accused of murder? Run. <laughs> Sounds a little too messy for you to get involved with. We'll leave that to the attorneys. I don't but, do uh, personal stuff either. <laughs> Fair enough. So your favorite musical instrument and the artist you like to hear play it, none other than Jimmy Buffett, so best known for his music, which often portrays an island escapism type of lifestyle. You said steel drums and Jimmy Buffett, and it's a pr very appropriate for you considering that you've chartered boats and sailed with your wife almost every year for the last 20 years. Yes, I have. And I bought a new parrot head t-shirt or shirt for this, for this, just a good excuse. <laughs> just, just for the occasion. Right. <laughs> Mike, thanks so much once again for joining me. Really appreciate it. It's great, Steve, and really enjoyed it. That's all I want to hear. Coming up next week, we're going to hear from our friend John Chapman from Moving Forward Connections. It's Again, it's not what you say. It's how you say it. It's what the other person hears, what impact you have. John is someone who works in the field of public relations and social, social media marketing, really help, helping people get their brand and image out there in an impactful way. Again, thank you, everybody, for joining us here on Always Friday. We hope that you gain some weekend insight to make a Monday impact. Have a great weekend. We will see you next week, Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Bye-bye, everybody. Here they go. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy. And I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc.
Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. uninformed about menopause and how it impacts on your life? Hi, I'm Pat Duckworth, women's health strategist and host of the Hot Women Rock radio show, empowering women leaders at menopause. Join me every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. UK Time on talkradio.nyc for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world. Post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be frank about health to advocate for all of us. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 